Good morning, everybody. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for this sermon this morning that, Lord, that you would have your way, you, you would speak to us directly. Lord, that you would empower us this morning. It would be your words, not mine. Lord, that, that it would be your direction to us for these times, for right now, that you'd speak into our hearts, that you'd empower us, Lord, Lord to live this life, Lord, and to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts 27 and 28, in particular chapter 27 um, this morning. Uh, before we do, I have a, a, a pretext which I really want to share with you, which is from 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 20, which reads, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You see, this kingdom that we belong to, that we are citizens of, is a kingdom of power, of God's power in our lives, of, of God's power in protecting us and keeping us and directing us um, in everything that we do. It's not about us, it's about his power. Last week, I liked Andy's message, which was all about the powers that be, that we don't see. The forces, the spiritual forces that are at work for our good and those forces which are against us. Um, you know, that, that, that we are, our, our walk is a, is a walk of warfare. That the devil opposes us as we seek to live the Christian life, particularly as we seek to proclaim this message uh, of the gospel to others. I particularly had a real tough time lately you know I'll give you an exa um, example from my past I was probably about 30 years of age uh, as a manager, managing director of a, a leisure business and we were a family-run business we had about 30 or so employees and we, we employed the father of one of the younger um, people in the firm who was studying computer computer science at the time and his father came to work for us he was about 58 he'd retired from BT um, and he came to see me in the office after a while. We, we brought him in, we did an induction with him. And after a couple of months, he was frustrated because we didn't have written policies on how we, you know, we were to conduct ourselves, except for health and safety and the regular stuff. We didn't have written policies on how we did things. Um, and I prided, us, prided myself in building a family-friendly a customer approach uh, and valued and felt that there was a value of our, our business that we weren't like you know blue chip M and S where the where the customer service was pretty poor and wasn't personal. So I valued us on our, one of our values being that we were personal, that we were friendly, that we were a family after all, as a business, and we treated our employees as such. And this chap came to me after some months he's struggling, wanted written policies. And, you know, I sat him down in my office and I said to him, I've forgotten his name now, uh, but I said to him, we're a family business. We treasure ourselves. We treasure the fact that we are family and we're friendly towards our customers. I don't want to have written policies which would bind us 
you know, we want to be personal with people. And I found it really difficult because this guy was in his 50s. And I remember thinking, hey, I am in my 30s. You know, I'm running the matter. I'm running the show. Who is this guy who's in his late 50s to dictate to me from BT, you know, which back then I think it wasn't privatised. Um, it was a government-led business. Uh, and I really felt, no, I'm running the show. I'm the guy. I need this guy's really, he's, he's over the hill. <laughs> he should be retired, really. We brought him in because of his son worked for us. Um, and I remember he, he didn't stay with us much after that. He felt he couldn't, you know, um, he couldn't work with us because he was used to having solid written policies on everything and how, how the business should be run. Um, and I remember thinking back then in my early 30s, you know, and the guy comes in front of me who's close to 60, 58-ish, 59, feeling that it, it must be hard and difficult when you get to a certain age in life where people look at you and think, ah, he's over the hill. <laughs> he's passed it. He's had his time. He's, he's had his past. He might have been big in BT and... And now I've hit that time, you know, I've been struggling because I thought to come to this time where um, I said to Kathy, I woke up one morning thinking, particularly with this lockdown going on, um, that, you know what, it's like when you hit my age and you've retired, it's like I said to Kathy, it's like you're sitting around just waiting to die. And that sounds very negative, I know, but... What I'm saying is, is I feel I, well, I expounded on my saying, because you don't have any say anymore in running a business or being the head of a department. You're basically overlooked. You're considered to be over the hill. And it was good that, that this, this, um, this passage of scripture fell to me this morning because it ministered to me. God ministered to me through this this message where he's saying you're not over the hill and we're going to see from this uh, chapter 27 the story of Paul on his trip to Rome you know who was about 61 62 um, who who'd submitted himself to Caesar to be tried uh, to be heard by Caesar um, and he was in chains and he's about to set off um, to Italy, um, and he's in Judea at the moment. And let me just show you uh, this journey before we read it, and it's a fascinating passage of scripture. Um, if I can do this, uh, as you can see there, that, that is a map um, showing you in orange the trip from Judea, where they set off. Caesarea to Sidon, all the way to Myra, to Rhodes, Salome, Salmoni, Lycia, Fairhavens. This is where the trip went really badly, and they finally end up shipwrecked in Malta. So, back to me, if I can get that. I hope that we, you could see that, we'll check that out later. I thought I could have just flipped my camera, but it didn't allow. So let's go to Acts chapter 27. And read this fascinating story uh, and I'll share along the way just what God spoke to me about 
in terms of how God has blessed me through this passage. So we're in chapter 27 and verse 1. And then when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So this Julius, he's a centurion of the Augustan regiment, you know, quite a uh, high up guy. Uh, he probably was, you know, um, well, he was, a, he was a commander of a hundred men. So he was put in charge of, taking, of carrying Paul over to Italy. Um, so entering a ship in verse 2 of Adrametium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Now this Aristarchus was uh, said to be a, a friend of Paul. Uh, and, and also it says we here, which the writers say it was Luke probably travelled with him as well, uh, who wrote this book uh, on behalf of Paul um, and, his, and his acts, basically, of the apostles. So Aristarchus of Macedonia of Thessalonica was with us, and the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. So Julius was very favourable towards Paul, Julius the centurion. Although he was in chains, he, he was kind of almost like under house arrest, like a political prisoner. He'd not actually had a trial to say he was guilty of anything. And he was a Roman citizen after all. But Julius was kind towards Paul. And when we put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had called when we had sailed over the sea, which is off, off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy and put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmoni. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lassia. Now, in verse 9, when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman, helmsman, can't say that word, helmsman, and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the arbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening towards the southwest and northwest, and winter there. So here we see they'd been sailing, the winds had been contrary, uncertain, unpredictable, is the word really. Um, and it says that the fast was already over, because the fast was already over, this is the, uh, the Feast of the Atonement, which would put them in middle of September. And it is known to all, and to all sailors that, at this time, that you don't sail between these months. Um, Mid-September probably lasted it, three months, it says here. Um, 
Yeah, so in mid-September and lasted until early November. It's a dangerous time to sail and after that all navigation on the open sea halted until winter was over. So this was known to be a dangerous time between mid-September and late early November. Uh, these winds were known of in these storms. But Paul stands up in verse 10. Men, I perceive this voyage will end in disaster and much loss. Notice he says men. And we think back what Andy was sharing last week about the fact that we go out through our lives and we sometimes think that we're in control, that we're in charge. And a bit like me in that office as the MD of a company, you know, an older guy comes and he says, well, I think you should have some more policies, you know, things should be more clear and explicit for your staff. And I shrugged him off, thinking, well, he's over the hill, you know, it's my company, I want to <laughs> I want to run it my way. Uh, and here we are, these guys, we've got a, a, a ship owner, salesman, a sailor rather, and we've got a centurion who's head over 100 men. And Paul raises a concern. He's been shipwrecked enough. Um, but you might say, well, who is Paul? To stand up to the captain of the ship, you know, the owner of the ship, uh, from Alexandria, an Alexandrian ship. Now, these were, the, you know, these were one of the best navies in the world at the time. Uh, Alexandria, uh, from whence this ship came, would, was known to be the main um, shipper of bread, or of, of, of grain rather, from Egypt over to Italy. Uh, and hence this ship, as we'll see later, carried uh, grain for Rome. That's where it was destined. And it had a, a difficult time. And I remember the map coming through past Cyprus and then tooken under Salmoni and, and near the bottom of Crete where Fair Havens was. It's here where Paul stands up. Men, I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster. And much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded. Persuaded by what? By the majority. By the helmsman and the majority who felt it would be better to winter further on into the voyage, despite the danger that Paul pointed out. And I can see there that, like I'm saying, it feels like, you know, you're not listened to. You get to a certain age where you've got a younger generation who are all gung-ho, going for it. Um, and you get to a certain age and you're not listened to. And God spoke to me here. He says, well, let's see. We'll read on, shall we? Uh, is that the case? Is it the case that you can get to a certain age where you're over the hill? Um, that you no longer play a part in the purposes of God or in the direction, shall we say, of uh, the church or business or whatever it might be that you're called to. In my case, it was business. Um, so, and remember the this story in the context of what Andy shared about the powers... Um, you know, that we're, we, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Um, but our fight is in the heavens. And I want to see here that this storm that about, is about to get worse, it's about to get harder. 
as Paul predicts here, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. But nevertheless, verse 11, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbour was not suitable to winter in the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbour of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. Verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous head wind rose, arose called Euryclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Now Euryclidon is an easterly wind, it's an easterly cyclone. The word Euro is east and, and, and uh, Clyden is, is, we get our word cyclone from. This was a vicious, vicious storm. Um, so not long after, in verse 14, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclydon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. Now a skiff is a small boat that would be attached to the bigger boat. Um, for helping you get to land. Today, uh, you would call it a tender boat. I used to have a boat um, on the Lake District, which you couldn't get to shore all the time because um, it depends on the depth of the water, and a bigger boat can't reach land in some cases where the water becomes shallow, so you would carry with you uh, a tender boat that would tender you across to the shoreland. Uh, and this this is called a skiff in this case, which is like a river boat, a uh, flat bottom. It could, it, it could sail across shallow waters. Um, and so it was used. But in this case here, um, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail, and so were driven. So they secured this smaller tender boat to the big ship that they were on, um, with cables and undergirded it, um, and then, basically, they let go. Verse 17, when we'd taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail, and so were driven by this storm. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now where neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. Can you imagine that? I mean, we, we've just come back from holiday um, and we had the most severe thunderstorm. I don't know if you had it here. Um, it came right across the camp uh, and we were in a friend's static at the time um, and it felt like, it just felt like it was right on top of the static and it was frightening. These guys had been many days 
It says three days. On the third day, we, sh we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. And now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat upon us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So, if we step back, Paul warns them, men, I perceive that this voyage is going to end in disaster. And not just the ship and its cargo, but all our lives are going to be lost. They hadn't seen the sun for three days and three nights. They had no sky, no sign of the sky. They were in the midst of this Eurocliden, this cyclone, sweeping in from the east. They were about to give up. And you know what? As I said before on holiday, that storm that came across, that was really frightening. It can be very dangerous in a thunderstorm, particularly with lightning. Um, and we only have to suffer, had to suffer that for about 15 minutes. Imagine that for three days. And not just that, you're not safe in some static somewhere on dry ground or in a boat in the middle of it being tossed to and fro. So don't read over this quickly and lightly and think, you know, oh yeah, well, you know, three days later and they finally feels like they want to give up. They came to a place here where they finally surrendered. Uh, they surrendered their own, you know, will and, and realised that they had no control and no power. This storm was going to take them down. And it reminds me um, of a place you come when you first meet with the Lord and you first realise that you cannot do it in your own strength. Um, that you realise that you need Christ in your life. You have to come to a place of surrender. And sometimes a storm, it takes a storm. It takes something that comes upon you whereby, you know, you can't do it in your own strength. And you have to call upon the name of the Lord. How many people in that moment of near death cry to God? These men, 276 souls on board this ship, by the way. It was no small ship. That's a lot of guys to be tossed around. Uh, you know, in the midst of this cyclone. And it reminds me of um, a hymn... Um, which I will play to you now.
to a place where they'd surrendered. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. They came to a place of surrender. Well, let's read on. For after a long absence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them. Paul stands up in the midst of them and says, Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you that you take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this stood by me this night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. Indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So they come to a place of, you know, I don't think we're going to make it, lads. That's a good place to come to. And I really want to say to you this morning is, you know, as I was this young 30-something, you know, I'm managing director of a company, and, you know, this is my company, and I want you to recognise that we are not in control. There are spiritual powers at work. God is at work here in this journey to Rome. This angel comes, an angel appears and stands beside Paul. And Paul stands up. He's already been overlooked and rejected once when he said, I perceive that this journey will be dangerous. And he doesn't sit back and think, well, like I've said, you know, I've hit my 60s now, you know, I may as well just sit around and, and wait to die because... I have no say anymore in matters of work or business. Nobody's going to listen to me. But Paul here stands up a second time after being rejected by the majority. It seemed right that they should go on uh, and and uh, move on from Fair Havens. And, but Paul stands up. And why does he stand up? Because he has a spiritual encounter of an angel stood beside him in the night. And I remember three nights... Three days and nights being tossed to and fro, so much so that they thought that it was the end. No sun or, or stars could be seen. It was a very frightening time. And an angel appears and says to Paul, Take heart, you will get before Caesar. You see, what God comes and intervenes here, this storm, you know, it's like the devil threw everything 
at Paul to stop him getting to Caesar, to stop this gospel to go into the main city of the whole world of Ro to Rome, where it would spread, as we know through from history, and become the biggest um, uh, message would be spread abroad to the whole world through Paul getting to Rome and influencing uh, the Roman church, not just Rome, but beyond the whole world, the whole civilized world, as it were, at the time. But remember Andy's word, I, I speak again about what he shared last week, is so poignant because it's not about us and what we think. You know, this helmsman who owned the ship, he thought, I'm a sailor here, I'm not, I'm not listening to this old geezer. Uh, who is he anyway, some political prisoner? In chains, who's he to say, you know, I perceive danger? And then the centurion goes with the majority of professional soldier who has the final decision. And Paul's ignored. Well, here we see a visitation of God, the powers of heaven, come down. Because this journey was a journey that the Lord, our God in heaven, had determined that Paul would reach Rome and influence the whole world. But there was an opposition to that. The opposition, the devil wanted to oppose and would throw everything at this journey to stop Paul reaching his destination. But God steps in and he says, you will be saved. Every one of you, every one of the souls on board, 276 men. You see, sometimes we set off on our journey in life and we think we've got it all under control. We know where we're going. We know where we want to be. You know, that might be business. You might want to build your business. We must realise it's not just about what we believe or what we perceive, but that we are in the plan of God ultimately in our, for our lives. Uh, and that's not that we, we might build our business bigger and greater. Or you might, your business might be the church. You might wish to, to expand the gospel and see the church grow, but... The reality is we are on a path that God has set us upon. It's not about us, it's not about our desire or our aims. It's about the heavenly powers that be. It's about what God aims to do with our lives and through our lives. And I'm so blessed here that Paul stood up a second time, having been ignored first. That spoke to me to say that, you know what, it's not over. You're not over the hill, you're never over the hill with God. Um, you know, he still can use you. He still has purpose for you in your life. He will still visit you supernaturally. Angels will come to your side. And, you know, Paul preached the message there so powerfully uh, to the whole 263 souls on board of this ship. Uh, he suddenly had given all, of, all hope over. Uh, felt that they were never going to make it, that they would not be saved. And Paul stands up with this gospel message. Beautiful. And so, realize there is a spiritual realm. Realize it's, there is an opposition to whatever we do in life, particularly as we work towards our goals, which are founded in God. Um, but realize it's not about also that there is a spiritual dimension. There's a spiritual dimension in this story. Paul was being opposed severely so that he wouldn't get to Rome. So we'll just finish off and read uh, a little bit more on, shall we? Um, so after Paul stands up, 
However, we must run aground on a certain island. God, you know, God has already knew exactly where the ship was going to land. He knew exactly. Our God is the God of the beginning and the end. He knows our beginning, he knows our end. Uh, a certain island, they didn't even know the name of the island where they landed. Uh, but God did. God had a plan because he had an appointment for Paul with a ruler on that island. Uh, and revival was going to break out from that appointment. God knows our beginning and our end. These in this moment didn't have a clue. They were fighting for their lives. Now when the 14th night had come and we were drawn, driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed they were drawing near some land, and they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And they'd gone a little further and they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out the anchors from the prow, which is the stern or the front of the ship, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay on board the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes off the skiff and let it fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had held, had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship, so that when we had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. As Paul had predicted, you know, from this visitation of the angel, that not one soul would lose their lives, but the ship would be lost and its cargo. It's interesting we think back when he was contested to say it's not safe to go on, I perceive this journey is dangerous. The captain, the helmsman of the ship was a basically a trader. He had wheat on board or corn on board or grain. Um, it says wheat here. Um, and he had commercial reasons to go forward and to move on to deliver this cargo. Um, where were they now? There was no arguments anymore. They'd all given up hope, and Paul was able to preach the gospel to them, and they were to be able to, you know, find God's plan and realize it's not in their hands anymore. It's whatever's in, whatever this man who's sent from God, whatever he says, we shall do it. There was no contesting his message anymore. It was seen that this was, this purpose and this journey was already predestined. God had them in there, in his hands. So when they had eaten enough, they had lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and let them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. Just a quick point, this island was Malta, by the way. 
And if you go, I don't know if you've ever visited Malta, but I visited Malta using Google Earth, and I couldn't find a beach anywhere. It's like a mountain fortress rising out of the sea, Malta. Very difficult. This is why I was saying that, you know, Paul says we will be shipwrecked on a certain island. This is why this is so um, of God, this journey, that God takes hold of this ship and he plonks it in the most difficult part of the world to land because the, the ship was going to be destroyed. There was no easy crossover here to land on a big expanding beach. We've just been on all as I said before, and the beaches just run for miles. How easy that would have been to run to that shoreline. Here, this was a small harbour uh, where there was a little chance that they could aim the ship uh, and direct it into it. So they let go of the anchors and let left them in the sea. Meanwhile, losing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for the shore. It must have been a very small beach, a small target. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the prow or the stern stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. And 28 and verse 1, now when they had escaped, they found out that this island was called Malta. All those things, those things thrown at Paul. I believe his spiritual powers are at work to destroy this journey, to stop Paul reaching Rome. But the spiritual powers, our Lord in heaven came and sent his angel to guide and to take hold of this ship and to shipwreck it in a certain place where they would hit land, land called Malta. And it says that the natives of this land showed unusual kindness to them. And a ruler, Publius, I think his name is, Publius, um, whose father lay sick, Paul goes to pray for him and, and they recover. And the gospel spread abroad in this little island um, through this journey. But my message is to say to you this is realize there are spiritual powers at work. Realize it's not about our position in life or our authority as we think we have to make decisions. Sometimes God has already made those decisions for you. Um, and sometimes the devil would oppose you, um, you know, and he would speak negative words to you or he would oppose you from reaching your destination, um, or which is to serve God and fulfill what he has for you in your life. Just like he did with me in a sense of opposing me and saying, ah, get over the hill, there's nothing more but to sit around and wait to die. Well, you know, I refute that because this scripture here speaks clearly that you might think you're not listened to. Paul wasn't listened to first of all. But then when man comes to his very end and his very desperate end, then it was Paul's time to stand up again and preach to them and witness to them about the power of God, that God had them in, their, in his hands. So there is a time and there is a place that God has for us 
Um, and, and, and if we were to read further, and I'm, I'm all conscious at the time, but if we read further, and I, I encourage you to do that, read chapter 28. It speaks of how, you know, as I said, Paul prays for Publius's father, uh, and many came. And, and also, they, they lit a big fire, uh, and, a, and a viper con connects to Paul's hand as, as he's gathering wood for this fire. And the locals said, ah, oh, he, he must have been done terrible in his lifetime. Look, he thought he'd escaped the ship and he was a prisoner. He's going to die now. And they sat waiting for him to swell up and it never happened. And then they thought, he's a god. So there was a lot happening there. You know, first of all, you had the sailors trying to escape the ship. The, the soldiers wanting to kill the prisoners, which Paul would have been included in. The storm, which tried to wreck them all and wipe them all out. Then a viper comes. It's like... The devil was so much against Paul reaching Rome, but God had him in his hands. And in our lives, it's that way. You know, recognize, recognize there is a spiritual realm and the devil's at work to thwart God's plans for your life. But have faith in him. Have faith in God. Call out. Remember what we said, the pretext of today's sermon. It was in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 20. But the kingdom of God was not word, but was power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So it's not about just preaching sermons or, you know, speaking a nice word or studying your Bibles. And, you know, it's realizing there is a power at work which is unseen. And there's a power who's for you, who is our Lord, and there's a power who's against you. The devil and his demons want to thwart God's purpose for your, for your life. But realize we have this power. It says this treasure in earth and vessels. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Call upon this power. Call upon. It's not about word. You know, it's not about eloquence. I've not been very eloquent today. I've just shared with you really from my heart. And I hope that it, it, it sends a message to you to wake up, to come to a place of full surrender to this power which is God and let him have control in your life and see that there is opposition. There's going to be opposition when you're seeking God, when you're seeking to fulfill his purposes. The devil wants to oppose you and he wants to stop you. He wants to wear you down. But God is powerful. This kingdom of God is about power, not word. Our power and that power to heal as we've seen with Paul's ministry um, and as in, ch in chapter 28 um, you know it says he was carried eventually to Rome where he, he for two to three years he, he rented a house um, under Julius the centurion um, but not quite you know restricted at all he, he was free to, to have visitors and often did you know, and influenced many people in that time uh, for two to three years for the rest of his life. And God so, so still uses us, uh, no matter how old we get, no matter how, um, you know, if we don't feel influential anymore or we don't have a say, God still uses us in situations. So I just pray that you'd be encouraged from today more of a testimony, I guess, uh, from myself. But 
God still speaks today and still moves in power. Amen.